Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. How are you all today? <clears throat> so, uh, the audio, everything okay? Uh -huh. Do I have to mute mine? It will appear to be so, unless there's a mini me over there. <laughs> yeah. Take a deep breath. Ha 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 ha. No pressure, no pressure. Okay, so before we start, uh, we have a new friend with us today. Tell us your name and how you got to know about this group. Uh, very good. Very good. Welcome, welcome. We've, uh, I've heard of you for a few weeks now. Uh, yes, yes. What was your name again? Huh? Miriel. Oh, and what, what language is that? French. French. Ah, <laughs> uh, what else do I know how to say? <laughs> Bonjour. Comment tu t'appelles? Yeah, Maria. Je suis, je suis Changguan. Je m'appelle Changguan. Yes. Je suis... Uh, Buddhist uh, professor, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> it's been too many years. <laughs> no, that was good to begin with. <laughs> welcome, welcome. So, uh, so yeah, this is NGC. So we do um, a bit of puja, uh, which is the chanting. And you'll notice that uh, there's the front part, which is the Pali chanting, and then there's the Chinese chanting. Uh, today I did something different. Usually we'll do the chanting, which is like chanting, chanting. Today it's more like recitation. Yeah. Um, and uh, the reason being, um, while I was ordained in the Chinese Mahana tradition, uh, but I see that in Singapore, especially for the younger generation, uh, it's kind of uh, maybe a bit tough, yeah? at least for some, to enter into the teachings uh, if there's this one hour of Chinese chanting. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, uh, given that in Singapore we actually have quite a bit of... Uh, uh, friends from overseas who are either studying in Singapore uh, or working in Singapore. Yeah, so I think this is helpful. Uh, there are students who actually ask me why we do not have uh, programs in Mandarin. Uh, I do have on a demand basis. Yeah. Uh, but I think there are enough Chinese monks giving uh, talks in Puja in Chinese uh, in Mandarin already. Yeah. Uh, so um, at the same time, uh, I still have a bit of that Chinese chanting so that we don't get disconnected from the lineage. And then we have a bit of uh, 
uh, meditation. Not too long to frighten people away. Uh, I would say it's short, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's really short. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, enough to get let people feel like, oh yeah, I did some sitting today. <laughs> and then we have the not-so-short sharing. Yeah. Um, so welcome. Welcome. And uh, let me see who else is uh, here for the first time. Are you here physically for the first time? Yeah. Uh, two years ago, expired, expired already, expired. Uh, Coven, okay. Why do you feel sorry? Uh, sorry towards yourself or towards me? Oh, no, no, no. You should feel sorry towards yourself. You miss the Dharma. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, there's a time and place for everything. Huh? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. We all, um, we need somebody to get us back in track. Yeah. Uh, but in Buddhism, we say as long as we have learnt it, yeah, the seed is planted. Yeah, it's a matter of when it takes form. So, so, uh, so welcome back as well, Eve. Welcome back. You see, the rest are all season parking holders. Uh, and as, <clears throat> as we... As you can see, we are still in the social distancing uh, setup. So it's actually quite nicely spaced out. Huh? Yeah. Uh, and now with the new, <clears throat> the new towel, new cushion, new look, everything. This is the second, second time uh, because the last session we invited a guest speaker. So today's topic asking and answering. Yeah. Is the text big enough or should I expand it? Is this better? Pro probably better. Huh? Okay. So, asking and answering. So, this uh, today's topic is quite interesting uh, because it's not the usual, oh, Sufu, give us talk about right speech. <laughs> yeah, not just about that. Of course, in the larger scheme of things, in the Buddhist teaching, uh, speech forms one of the three types of karma yeah, or action. Uh, even without learning the, the Dharma or Buddhism, we know that what we say um, matters. Yeah? And sometimes what we don't say matters even more. Yeah? Um, and how we say it, when we say it, uh, our intent of saying it, all this counts. Yeah? We have all heard different stories of how words itself uh, can leave long-lasting imprint. Of course, there's the you know, childhood nursery uh, rhyme of uh, what um, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can't hurt me. Yeah? What kind of things to tell kids, right? 
in a way, it's true also, right? Yeah, if someone throws stones at you or use a stick to hit you, whoever come up with that nursery must have lived up in a very rough environment uh, where people throw stones at each other and use sticks to... Uh, never got into a fight where people throw stones at me, you know? Uh, myself, have you gotten into fights where... Myself has said, no, we use knife. <laughs> Have you gotten into any real fights before? Primary school. Wow. Did you like win? <laughs> Can't recall. Yeah. Usually, you know, history is written by the victors. So when you cannot recall, means you didn't win. <laughs> I I I actually never really got into any fights before. There was one um, official, unofficial fight when I was in primary school as well. So there was this kid who wanted to challenge me to a fight. <clears throat> and um, and uh, what happened? We went, you know, recess period, and then we went to the field, huge field. So we ran out, and there were, you, you never have one-on-one -on -one fight. You know, when you have two person having a fight, there'll be at least four to five boys going to, to watch, you know. Yeah, so a whole bunch of us ran out into the field, found one corner that's far enough so that teachers don't catch us, but near enough so that we can run back to continue class after recess. You know, while we, while we thought we ought to have a fight, but we still thought we need to go back to class, you know. So there we were out in the field, and then they were like, okay, yeah, yeah, let's fight. But then the thing is that that kid was, was quite much shorter than me. I mean, I was also small, right? But he was much more. Uh, within a few seconds, less than a minute, I helped him down with his face on the, on the field, my feet on the ground. So there wasn't much of a fight. So I wouldn't count that as a fight. <laughs> but yeah. Um, except for if the person really break your bones, um, there are more dire consequences. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we have all heard uh, individuals who, who said things to us uh, and left a scar, emotional scar. Yeah. Uh, so in the context of today's topic, asking and answering questions, yeah, what are the things to consider uh, in terms of this particular category of speech? So I have... Um, um, uh, copied two sets of sutta. Now, the first one is on vacha, vacha sutta. Uh, vacha, the root word is linked to basically speech. Yeah. Vachana, words of the Buddha. Yeah. Buddha, vachana, words of the Buddha. So vacha is related to speech. So the translation is a statement. Yeah. Or uh, let's say uh, something that you say. And the next one is... Uh, Anha Sutta, yeah, questions. The second part is more related directly to our topic at hand. <clears throat> so I'm going to just uh, go through this first, and then we go into a bit more, uh, perhaps, uh, discussion. So this is from the Anguttara Nikaya. So this is from the Anguttara Nikaya. And this is... Uh, let me just try to write it down and spell it for you. 
and the Anguttara Nikaya is found in the Pali Canon. Um, <clears throat> it's usually seen as uh, like the fourth collection. Uh, and this collection is very unique because it is grouped by numbers. So, so those of you who have been attending the class, this is more like a refresher. Uh, so also uh, in the Chinese Mahana tradition, the Sanskrit term that is often used is ekotara. Uh, so either incremental or gradual uh, or numerical. So it goes from one, two, three, four, and then four then. Uh, five, yes, correct, very good. <laughs> and so on, yeah, up to 11. And 11 basically covers all the different topics yeah, that has numbers larger than 10. Yeah. So in this particular one, Anguttara Nimkaya, book five, uh, so then we have five things. Yeah. And it's Sutta number 198. So you'll notice that there's another set of numbers here, and you'll see this over here, PTS. Let me zoom it in for you. PTS. PTS stands for Polytech Society. Yeah. This page itself is from the access to insight.org uh, website. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of the tasks have been translated by different variables. Uh, a good number of them has been translated by variable Tanisaru Biku. Also known as Tan, I think also known as Tan Jeff in US, um, and uh, the they use this uh, this ordering uh, uh, more more or less similar to the one that is uh, used by variable uh, Biku Bodhi, uh, uh, also also based in US. The PTS itself is. Uh, an acronym for Polytech Society, yeah, and it dates back to some hundred over two hundred years, yeah, uh, in the in the land of India, yeah. Uh, this this uh, the founders of this society were actually from uh, Great Britain. Yeah? Um, there are different accounts of how it started. The the version I heard was that. They were commissioned, there were a group of people who were commissioned under the, the British Empire, under the Great uh, East India Archipelago, Great East India Company thing, you know. Uh, and part of that um, um, establishment to understand the local culture, India, India's local culture, religion, language, um, everything, every aspects. And in the process, of knowing than to be able to rule them. Uh, this is a version I heard. Huh? And uh, interesting thing is that um, through that process, then they were like, oh, this is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And in the end, they, they formed a society and some would say they became Buddhist. Yeah. Uh, but um, whichever way it is, they, uh, they, are, they can be attributed to, um, in a way, the modern... Um, transmission of the Dharma as far as the Pali tradition is concerned uh, through the English medium. Yeah. While there are all these um, uh, translations we have today that is that goes beyond the PTS translation, uh, without the earlier translation, 
the modern folks will have a hard time. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of the dictionaries have links to the translation they did. Uh, so, without further ado, let me just let's get started into the text. So, um, you find that some of these suttas don't have the preamble, like Tas have I heard. Yeah. A lot of the suttas don't start off that way, yeah, uh, for various reasons. For various reasons. Um, sometimes it's because of the the way they collect it uh, and the way they recite it. Uh, but this is the, the meat of it, so to speak. So monks, a statement endowed with five factors is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless and unfaulted by knowledgeable people. Which five? So there's an open statement. Uh, the address is to monks, and in, in all likelihood, the original text would uh, indicate bhikkhavi uh, or bhikkhuve, so addressing the monks. Um, and you will find that a lot of suttas addresses the monks. Uh, well, for the most part, because uh, uh, there was a, a long duration where um, the Buddha, uh, there were only monks. Yeah? Uh, and even later on, when there were nuns already, um, the, how do I put it? The nuns would uh, request for speakers yeah, or teachers to go and uh, teach them. So you'll find that a good number of the suttas are all addressing the monks. Yeah. In some cases, it will be whoever come to ask the Buddha questions. Yeah. So that would give you some context as well. So in this case, the Buddha addresses the monks and tells them that uh, when something is said and it comes with five factors, then it is well-spoken. Uh, so that means that saying that is good, uh, it's beneficial, it's fruitful. Uh, so, and as a result, those who are here, the translation is knowledgeable. I think in some translation, they would use the word wise. Uh, that wise people would find it blameless and unfaulted. Uh, so if you say in a way that comes with these five factors, then it is good. Good that you say it. And people cannot find fault with it. Yeah. Now, of course, of course, in our course of life, we know that <laughs> if people want to find fault, people can find fault. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But here it's talking about knowledgeable, wise people. Wise people don't, wouldn't find fault. So, not saying that nobody can find fault. Uh. Uh, don't look at this sutta, then, oh, okay. So, I time it. Uh, this, 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 then, eh, then you come back to Sufu. Hey, Sufu, I got criticized that day. <laughs> well, like, it doesn't guarantee by, that it's blameless by all people, but only by knowledgeable or wise people. So, what are the five? It is spoken at the right time. It is spoken in truth. It is spoken affectionately. It is spoken beneficially. It is spoken with a mind of goodwill. Yeah, so these are the five. So namely, if I may, this is about timing. This is about the, the truth of it, whether it's true or false. Uh, this itself and this are very similar, or affection and goodwill. Um, I would say that 
this may sometimes be translated as compassionately. Uh, it is spoken beneficially. <clears throat> so there are five altogether. So the first thing is timing. Yeah, timing. Uh, if you look at some of the suttas, there are some cases where uh, someone who is junior actually spoke out of turn. Yeah. Uh, in particular, I remember one sutta where the Buddha was addressing, um, was talking to some Brahmins. And these are, uh, the majority of them are all senior Brahmins, very elderly. And then at some point, one junior Brahmin, uh, he, he out of like, he, he just kind of jumped in, you know, and asked a question. Yeah. Um, and in the context of the sutta, uh, it seemed as though he spoke out of turn. Yeah. Uh, but then the, the Brahmins then interjected saying that, no, no, he is actually very knowledgeable as well. Yeah, he's very wise. So it's okay. He, he, can, he can come in and <laughs> speak with us. Yeah. So um, even in the Buddha's time, uh, for the Buddha uh, and among his peers, there's a certain kind of decorum yeah, as to uh, when is the right time to speak, who should be speaking at what time. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I was much younger, um, I don't know about kids these days. Huh? I think kids these days are free to speak anytime. Huh? Huh? Is it? Yeah, to some extent. Huh? Huh? Let's interview our, our young Young participant. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, anybody have a mic? Uh, we can pass around the mic. Actually, another way you all can do is uh, get one phone, connect to the Zoom, and then just turn on the mic without the video. And that person can use that with the mic, maybe. And so that the online speakers can hear what they say. Yeah. Hmm. So what does our young participant have to say for yourself on behalf of all the hundreds and thousands of young people? Yeah. She's totally regretting turning up. <laughs> She's looking, looking with disdain, her shoulders slouching down. And then she's like, ah, why did I come? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, can, can try. Yeah. I was going to say, let's spare her. But then, myself prepared the mic. So, you have to speak. <laughs> Don't worry, you are among friends. No one speaking. Who else? Oh no. How can you not tell? She is the youngest. She may look mature, but <laughs> do you have anything to say? Let's 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 not kiss her. Lah. Yeah. I'm sure she gets to speak whenever she wants to speak, right? Huh? Say yes. Oh, God, man. <laughs> yeah, so there you have it. You have the answer. God man. Yeah. From uh, Muriel, 
Is it new room? Right. How do you spell it? N U R I E L. Okay. How, what does it mean? I'm not sure. You have your name and you have no meaning to your name. How I meant that to me. Why? <laughs> your name has no meaning. All our names have some meaning. We may not know it, but we all know it. There's some meaning. <laughs> Actually, I I think even for Europeans, the Western names actually usually have some uh, etymological his link as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So your homework for today. Go and find out your main name. <laughs> Meaning of your name. Okay. Yeah, so, um, so what she said just now, let me explain to you. That was in Singlish. God, man. So, uh, you've been in Singapore for quite a number of years? Yeah. A few years, huh? You must have heard people say, God, man. Uh, so, the first part is an English term, God. Yeah. The second part is uh, more like Hokkien, man. Yeah. So, you, you're not supposed to speak in a Western way. No, God, man. No. You must say, God, man. Uh, and with, uh, if you want to emphasize, use a frown. <laughs> and then to further punch in with a hand raised up uh, but it must be time cannot be got me yeah, then off sync <laughs> yeah. so you see since young they are trained yeah, Singaporeans are trained since young to express their emotions yeah. <laughs> we're quite in touch with our emotions yeah. so very good so from the answer, we know that she don't get to speak at all times. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes at children's class, um, I will tell them, it's not that you cannot speak, but if you, if you feel compelled to speak all the time and you then, as a result, speak all the time, then it means that you are out of control. I'm not saying you cannot speak all the time. I'm saying there are times where you should speak there are times maybe you should try to refrain from speaking. Only when you learn when to speak, when not to speak, and you learn to be able to not speak even when you feel like speaking, and to speak even when you don't feel like speaking, then you're in control of your speech. Then you're in control of your speech. If you speak merely because you feel like saying, because on impulse, that every time someone says something, you must reply, then you're just like the wall, you know? or even the wall can make some sound, you know? Yeah, you shout loud enough, there's an echo. Yeah, so don't speak like a wall. Huh? You must know the right time to speak. When is the right time to speak? Is it our turn? Huh? Um, in terms of timing, it can be quite sensitive as well. Yeah? Uh, like, it's not just about your social standing. It's not just about the social etiquette. <clears throat> but also perhaps the suitability in terms of timing. Yeah? Uh, for example, <sighs> this is something that um, I, I think as Buddhists, we have to be even more cautious. Uh, for example, after learning Dharma, they all sometimes feel compelled to share the Dharma. Yes? Say yes. 
Yes, no, we? You all, you all feel like sharing Dhamma? Yes, huh? Or no? Do you know? Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> all of them have a blank look. Yeah. Those who are online, they have no idea what I'm saying. All of them like, oh, no, they are wearing masks. So, <laughs> no, I, I've met a lot, of, uh, not, not a lot. I've met some students who are so, you know, excited to share Dharma. So much so that even when they attend the funeral, yeah, they want to share Dharma. When they see their friends, you know, the, the, the family members of the departed, the deceased, like very sad and they're sobbing, they go in, oh, immediately speak Dharma. Don't cry. Huh? Let go. Let go. <laughs> I'm like, really? Like, this is the time to tell people to let go. Like, really? <laughs> you know? Oh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, oh, timing is very important. Huh? Yeah, when someone just um, lost a family member, please don't go in guns blazing and tell them, didn't the Buddha teach? Sifu last week just teach, right? Non-attachment. Huh? Did, huh? Correct? Ah, you know why you're crying? Because you never internalize. <laughs> please, uh, please don't say that. Oh. Oh, in case if you ever encounter some students who say that, I'm speaking to the video cap, webcam. Cap, I don't know which one. There's three, you know. I don't know which one to talk to. Oh, I'm supposed to look at this one. Huh? But then, how about that? Oh, but this one is not flattering. You know, this, this, this webcam is not flattering. Is <laughs> Okay, I must wipe. I must wipe. That is a bit clearer. Is it better now? No, no, actually, no, actually, you can select uh, share and uh, you can share two, two, two speakers. Can you share? Oh, ah, alas. So I have to look at this camera. <laughs> and I was still looking there like, you know, like, you know, in the studio. Yeah, so in case if you all encounter some Buddhists who go around <laughs> consoling people by telling them to let go, none of my problem, okay? It's not my fault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are so many examples, huh? but I think I can leave that exercise to you all to figure out the timing. Huh? Uh, well, it's good to share the Dharma. Oftentimes, at the moment, when something went wrong, it's probably not the best time. Yeah. I've seen for myself when a person gets angry and the other person goes in for or something, you know, then I'm like, well, if the person knows that, the person wouldn't be angry, right? So the fact that the person is angry, I don't know. Yeah. Also timing, timing. Next, spoken in truth. That means what you say is true, right? So imagine, okay. <laughs> imagine, um, what is one truth that would that would um, not be pleasing to your? Like for example, you go to your grandma's birthday, and then you wish her, grandma, happy birthday, and by the way, life is impermanent. <laughs> Your grandma will be like, I think immediately impermanent. Your grandma will be, 
Yeah. Please, oh, uh, don't go and tell your grandma or grandfather or your mother, father, uh, and say, happy birthday. Uh, you are you're now 84 years old. Statistically speaking, you have already reached your, your lifespan uh, as a woman. This is the average lifespan. So anytime now, okay, grandma, anytime. Yeah. And by the way, I've already contacted Venerable Chuan Kwan. <laughs> please, oh, please don't say that. Don't quote me when you are saying this kind of truth to people. Now, it seems like I'm disagreeing with the Buddha. No, uh, yeah, I'm agreeing with the Buddha. But you must be careful that even if it's the truth, uh, there's a timing to say also. Yeah, they shouldn't be taken in isolation. That's my point. Okay, Spoken affectionately. Uh, as I said, in some... Okay, timing was a bit off. Yeah, it was supposed to be... <laughs> okay, let's see. Compassionately. Uh, spoken with compassion. Uh, the last one is goodwill. Goodwill is usually a translation for loving kindness. Uh, so, uh, spoken... Um, or perhaps, if I can correct myself, perhaps this, this part here can be seen as loving kindness yeah, plus compassion. Uh, but affectionately, it's more about the way you speak it, uh, the way you say it. So to speak gently. yeah. Uh, but is there a time for you to speak not so gently? Yeah, so the example I always like to give is if you are, let's say, out on the, on the street and you see your kid, your niece, your nephew, uh, the little girl or some random kid, yeah, uh, very attentively looking at the handphone and then crossing the street and then there's a truck, there's a bus coming, then what should you do? Then you think, ah, is this the right time? I think this is the right time. Is it the truth that the child is coming and might smash into her body and cause her to be displaced physically so fast that the body can become compressed and then hmm, I think it's the truth, yes. Ah, but I must speak affectionately. So I should say, hello girl. And what if the girl cannot hear you? But still I shall not shout. I shall not use harsh speech. I shall speak kindly. <laughs> yeah? Then we speak kindly. Jenna. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah? Jenna. Then Jenna. What? <laughs> Jenna. There's a bus coming. Don't, don't disturb me. Jenna. Jenna. <laughs> no more Jenna. Huh? So, although... So again, uh, I'm not disagreeing with the Buddha, okay? Uh, we should speak in a nice way so that it's pleasing. Uh, uh, so that it, it doesn't cause people to be repulsed immediately. Yeah, but there are cases where you may need to shout, you know? Yeah, like the example I give. If ever, please, uh, today Sufu tell you, if you ever you are in that situation, you know already. You have to shout. Uh, Please do not in the street. Boy, boy, boy. <laughs> uh, please, uh, 
In fact, you, you may not even have to speak. You should just reach forward, grab the kid and manhandle the kid. Please never do what they do in the movies. You know what they do in the movies? Run over there, push the kid away and then... <laughs> I mean, I always cannot understand. Why do you do that? Just pull the kid over. Pull. Don't push. And then... So, unless you're Wonder Woman or Superman or Iron Man, please don't do that. Next, it's spoken beneficially. Spoken in a way that it benefits the person. Yeah. Uh, you know what they say? Uh, the road to hell is laced with the best intent. <laughs> yeah. So you may intend it to be beneficial. Yeah. But sometimes you have to be careful also. Huh? Uh, but um, in other words, before you speak, you should ask yourself, what is the outcome of speaking? What is the outcome of speaking? And here I want to share with you uh, something that um, I think, I'm not sure whether it applies to you, you know, but it is what happened for me. Uh, so it is about how people would comment on each other's driving, especially when you're close to each other. Yeah, Namely, my late father. Now I can say the word late father. <laughs> Yeah, because last year he, he went off first. Huh? Yeah, so, uh, whenever he drive, he would... Uh, well, okay, let me start the other way around. Whenever I drive, he will comment on my driving. So, when he drive, what should I do? I should return the favour, right? <laughs> no, actually, I try. No, it's not true. I try not to say anything. I said that I'm on the receiving end. Because when he drive, he's very cute. Yeah? Because he used to drive a scooter, ride a scooter. So when he drive a car, he drive a car like a scooter. Let me illustrate to you because those of you who never drive a bike or scooter, you may not understand. So this, these are roads, right? If you are used to driving a car, in Singapore, you drive on this side and you would see you will see that you are slightly to the right of the whole road. But in this way, your car is in the center. But uh, if you are driving, riding a scooter, you see yourself in the center of the road. But many scooter folks, they don't ride in this way. They ride at the side. So imagine he drive the car like a scooter. So... <laughs> His car is either over here or over here. Let me, let me erase so that you can see clearly what I mean. So he would drive while he is here and the car is here. And guess where I am sitting? Next to him. And where's the other car? It's right over here. Sometimes when I sit in the car, I'll try to just close my eyes. And when I open my eyes, <laughs> oh my God, that guy is too close. <laughs> so I'll be like, well, what am I doing here now? <laughs> I can see him already. Uh, what would we not give to have the experience again, isn't it? 
Yeah. Uh, but so I used to comment. <clears throat> and I try to reframe myself to only comment at the critical timing. Uh, so I observe this, the timing. Only when I'm about to see the pimple on the, on the other driver, then I will speak. And I will speak the truth. We are too close. I will try to speak affectionately, maybe not so affectionately. <laughs> I'll be like, oh! <laughs> but I think it's beneficial to I spoke. Was I speaking with a mind of goodwill, of kindness? Um, I think at that point in time, I don't have time to think of kindness. <laughs> I was, to be fair, just afraid of dying. <laughs> but there was one other occasion where life was not involved. So one day, uh, we drove back and uh, he was starting to park. Um, and our place has very interesting lots. Let's just say that it's not the widest, yeah? especially if you don't get that particular lot number four or five. Yeah. So he would he would do this movement where he will do a reverse parking. Yeah. Singaporeans we are quite good at reverse parking. So he will reverse in. And then he will reverse out. And then he will reverse in. He will reverse out. Then he will reverse in. And then he will reverse out. I can go on for about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you see, all, my whole family, they are all laughing, the whole general whole family, because they all went through that. <laughs> and so, usually, I would, I would speak with the thinking, no, this is for his own good. No? That is beneficial. I should speak because this will benefit him. But that one day, and usually that's what I would do. And when I keep doing that, she, he will get upset, but he will not say he's upset. He will do this. <laughs> he, will start, he will start having this. So that's the cue. That, oh no, we have crossed somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the day before any of this happened, I decided, hmm, and I didn't say anything. And I, instead, I told him, then he was like, oh, oh, oh. So I got off with my mom, went into the lift, and my mom got in. I told my mom, I said, that just now, I was this close to commenting on Papa's parking. And then she looked at me, she's like, so why didn't you say? So I said, well, I thought to myself, while my intent is to benefit him, like, you know, help him know, you know, to, how to park or whatever. But I asked myself, based on past experience, uh, will he accept it? Will he be open to it? Or will he get upset? And perhaps even more... <laughs> And I decided, yeah, probably wouldn't work this time as well. So I decided, since it doesn't benefit him, even if my intent is to benefit, then I shall not speak. Yeah. Then my mom said, <laughs> mm, Today you're wise. <laughs> I give so many Dhamma talks. She never said I'm wise, no. 
Yeah, the one time I never say anything, she said I'm wise. So this thing, to consider whether it is beneficial for that person. I think this is especially applicable to many parents, you know, because with the best intent, we want to uh, caution our children of impending danger. We want to tell them uh, how from our experience um, that they are going to face dire consequences. Yeah. But sometimes we have to also consider again whether it's the right time. Whether as a result of our concern, our tone makes it acceptable, make it amiable. Yeah. And sometimes we have to also consider whether we speak with the right intent. Earlier I mentioned that I checked my intent and my intent is to benefit my father. But I'll be truthful with you. I realize that sometimes, sometimes I really couldn't care less. I just want to say, you know, and I think for the, a good part of my life, not just to my father, but to anybody I, I come across, I just want to say my mind. Yeah. And I realized that there's a lot to do with pride than any, any iota of loving kindness or goodwill. It's about pride. It's about ego. It's about me, my view. I am correct. Self-righteousness. Yeah. I say this not because I think you all are like that. I say this because I, I was like that. I think I sometimes still like that, you know. So I, I, I become a good catcher, <laughs> catch myself. And so I'm, I'm telling you, in case, in case, telling you not for you to go and catch other people. Uh, <laughs> please, uh, don't become a Dharma catcher. <laughs> uh, catch yourself, don't catch others. So, goodwill, uh, your intent. So a statement endowed with these five factors is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless, unfaulted, blameless and unfaulted by knowledgeable people, yeah, wise people. So this, in general, about speech. About today's topic, when to ask, uh, like asking and questions, asking questions and answering questions. Yeah. I think this, uh, what, I've, what we have covered today uh, for the first part, uh, forms a very important um, uh, starting point. Yeah. Because questions are merely uh, a particular instance of this, uh, this sutta. Uh, so when you speak to ask a question, then you have to ask yourself, is this the right time? Yeah. Of course, when you ask a question, then um, would that be a case where your question is actually false? Hmm, interesting. Yeah, questions by itself usually don't have a false or truth in them. But just for that thought, huh? then the next one, when the way you ask it, are you asking in a in a nice way or demanding way? Tell me. Yeah. Uh, is it spoken? Ask to benefit others. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes people ask questions also out of ego, you know. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we ask questions to show how, how knowledgeable we are. 
Yeah. After after um, some years of um, talking to people, fielding questions, these days when people ask me questions, um, instead of immediately answering it, um, sometimes I will immediately just ask, "What do you think?" Yeah. In some cases, the moment I ask, "What do you think?" Wow, immediately one dharma talk come out. <laughs> so the person asking question, uh, like the person asking me, let's say, Shifu. Uh, I've heard people talk about, uh, let's say, some something lah. Let's say, uh, hundred eight kinds of feelings. Uh, what is that lah? Do you know anything about that? Then imagine if I say, uh, what do you think? Oh yeah, I heard all. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I've learned to ask people, yeah, uh, some questions instead of just answering them. Because sometimes people ask questions not because they want an answer, uh, but because of other reasons. You know? uh, initially, I got quite fed up. Actually, yeah. initially I'm like, like, what is this? Like, but over time, I I'm now maybe a bit more accepting. Maybe sometimes <laughs> because I realized, well. Maybe they, they really have a need to have a platform, you know. Yeah, maybe they, they learn so much. Yeah? They learn so much. They don't have a platform to speak. So, okay, okay, I'll be your student today. I'll listen to you. <laughs> yeah, if you want people to listen to you, you must learn to listen to people. We learn this in workshops, right? Yeah, but you must really experience it. Uh, I have students who come to me that and tell me that uh, they try to share what they learn in class with their family members, in particular their parents or their children. And one of the first questions I ask them usually is, uh, are you usually on talking terms with your parents? And you know what is the very common answer? They look at me like, like I just asked them whether they fly. <laughs> They're like, no. <laughs> and then I'm like, um, so you don't chit chat with your parents? Uh, no, we have no common topics. Do you, so do you hang out with your parents? No. Do you spend time with your parents? No. Do you go out with your parents? No. Then I'm like, then why do you think your parents will listen to you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, you, you, you shouldn't need a Dharma talk to tell you this, you know. <laughs> this is about being human. Yeah, human interaction. If you never spend time with a person, how, how can that be trust? How can that be rapport? Uh, the, the first thing you, you meet a person and the first thing you say is, have you done your homework? <laughs> the first thing you say is, burning John's paper is wrong. The first thing you say is, come to the temple. Learn Dharma is very good. Eh? Who will listen to you? That's why oftentimes when <clears throat> students bring their family or their colleagues or whoever to come to see me for counselling, I often tell them, number one, don't tell them it's counselling. Number two, I'm really going to just chit-chat with them. So don't think I'm going to do counselling. <laughs> yeah. uh, and later I, later I found that actually it's, it's actually more beneficial this way. Yeah, because it helps them to to, to build up a rapport. 
it's a two-way thing. Yeah. And it gets them to be comfortable to share as well. Yeah. Uh, I can ask my mom how much time I spend talking to her, talking to my father, listening to them. <laughs> she laughed. It don't laugh like that, Lee. As though I'm not telling the truth. Truth or not? Truth, huh? Uh, I think when I was in primary school, I spent more time talking to my mom. Because primary school, ma, no, not, homework is very simple, just done. Then, other than going to playground, when you're at home, then follow mother in, follow mother out, follow here, move forward, then, uh, then talk, 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 yeah. uh, One common thing I tell my mother is, like when she's, she ironed the clothes, Last time our house very cute one. No? We don't have the ironing that stand. We have this very thick, thick cloth with a that is very coarse. It's like hemp. And then like very thick layer on the floor. And then there's one more layer that is um, like bed sheet. Uh, I think two layers. And then that's how we iron the clothes. Remember? Sit over here. Stay ball. Yeah, then she's ironing. Then we talk, talk, talk. Then I look at her. And then I tell her, Ma, Ma, you have grown old. That was when I was in primary school, when she was in her 30s. <laughs> That's 40 over 30, 40 years ago, no? Yeah. So now, really grow old already. Clearly, clearly grown old. So I've been telling her the truth. If she still don't get it, what can I say? <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah, from my own experience, uh, when I think about it, um, because when students tell me that they have a hard time talking to their parents, getting their parents to learn Dharma, and I'm like, why? And I thought about it and realized, yeah, while I think my parents are very open, it's also because we spend that number of hundreds and thousands of hours just talking, you know? And it's not about me talking to them, but I listen to their stories, you know? Yeah. You try, you go and try. Yeah. If there's someone that you really want to reach out to, but you have a hard time reaching out to, spend time listening to them or just, just being in their presence for a while. It takes time for people to warm up, you know, before they are ready to speak. <clears throat> yeah. And if you put in that, that time, then um, there's a bit of that trust. Yeah? Then they are ready to share with you. And when you, they share and you listen, and you cannot say you listen to one sentence and, oh, come, I tell you, I tell you. <laughs> if you are so, if you, if you have to catch yourself, Sifu cannot tell you whether you are like this or like that. You must catch yourself. Are you, while someone is speaking, are you, in your mind, are you thinking of what you want to say? Uh, if you are, then you, you want to raise your hand and give yourself a slap. 
Because if this, you are not listening. Yeah. Hey, but Shifu, this is about contributing to the dialogue. No, no, no. Yeah. Listen first. Don't be so eager to contribute anything. The fact that you think you're contributing, it means that you think you have something that is worthwhile to contribute. Maybe you do. I, I can't say I know. Yeah, but don't jump to that conclusion first. I, and again, I say, I used to be very strongly in this part of the spectrum. I like to think, I like to think that I'm a bit more closer to this side now. So, um, take the time to appreciate people's story when they tell you. Just listen. And you'll be surprised, you know. Uh, as much as I always say, uh, this whole rubbish about non-judgmental, but this part, you know, this whole politically correctness about not judging people, right? Really nonsense. <laughs> but the listening part is really where you really need to suspend your own value system, your own thoughts, perception, your interpretation. Just listen. And you'll find that it's very rewarding. Yeah. And you get to connect with that person in a totally different level. Just listening. Yeah. So then, uh, then we can think about how to answer the questions. Because then you will know what kind of question that is. And here, there are four different ways of answering questions. Okay, This is from uh, also from Anguttara Nikaya, Book 4, Sutta 42, Panha Sutta. There are these four ways of answering questions. Which four? Also four ways. There are questions that should be answered categorically. Yeah, straightforwardly, yes, no, this or that. There are questions that should be answered with an analytical, uh, that means qualified answer, uh, defining or redefining the terms. There are questions that should be answered with a counter question. There are questions that should be put aside. Uh, these are the four ways of answering questions. Yeah. And if you recall the different Dharma Talks Q&A session, um, you'll find that a variety of these different approaches are used by myself and other speakers. Um, I must say that um, I have an added advantage of the consulting training in the past where we are, we are the, the, the categorization is not exactly like this, yeah? uh, but I had the privilege of being trained to, to field questions yeah? and also see some um, very amazing um, peers um, in the process itself. It's really an, an art to be able to listen and then figure out what the person is trying to ask in a very short time. Because, it, I mean, just now we were talking about relationship building, right? But when you're in a corporate meeting, you have only that 15 minutes kickoff meeting or the, the, the fact-finding meeting, 15 minutes, half an hour. Yeah. And the, the key decision maker is going to just walk out in five minutes' time if you don't catch his attention because the person is too busy. You don't have time to... Yeah, so you must really catch it very fast. Uh, and you notice sometimes, especially for those who volunteer with Sifu, you notice sometimes I will just stop people when they're answering and I say, I ask you a categorical question. 
I ask you yes or no. I ask you, did you do this or not? I ask you, when did you do this? When did that happen? Don't give me anything else. I just need that answer. Huh? Uh, this is not just about Dharma. This is about our day-to-day life also. Yeah. Even for students, yeah. when you're answering oh, about sec four, oh yeah, you finished sec four already. Oh. Yeah. Hey, so where are you going? Uh? Yeah, which, what, what course are you taking? Oh, customer experience. Oh, this is good for you. Huh? Uh, so when customers call it co-op, then your answer. What will you be saying? Have you all, hey, haven't started course, right? Or haven't? Yeah, but but that, that's a huge field. Uh. That's a huge field. When, not necessarily doing the cast set. Uh. <clears throat> uh, but uh, this is actually applicable in so many areas. So, so many areas. Uh, let's go through the sutta before we, we, we elaborate. Uh. So first, the categorical answer, then the qualified, third, the part to be counted, questioned, and fourth, the one to be set aside. Any monk who knows which is which in line with the Dharma is said to be skilled in the four types of questions. Hard to overcome, hard to beat, profound, hard to defeat. And so this is quite interesting. Because in the Buddha's time, <clears throat> I think in the Buddha's time, it's a bit rougher than now, you know? Yeah. Because nowadays, everybody nice, nice, you know, especially, you know, if you are a different religion, nobody there to ask each other difficult questions because any, any old how can I, the, uh, the, some, some act come up. <laughs> but whenever I get invited to those interfaith dialogue, I always... <laughs> but within the boundaries, within boundaries, uh, within boundaries. But it's, it's not that I'm attacking other religion. Okay? Uh, when in in the paved dialogue, I ask difficult questions um, about the differences. Because oftentimes we we gloss over the differences, we whitewash them. And that kind of uh, harmony, that kind of friendship is surface very superficial. So here, uh, the part I want to highlight is that in the Buddha's time, they receive. Um, Attacks, verbal attacks. Yeah, people from other schools, from Brahmins, from the ascetic groups, they would come and ask difficult questions. Yeah, and from the sutta, you, you see clearly that the intent is to defeat that particular uh, speaker, that particular monk, because that particular monk is the Buddha's disciple or the Buddha himself, and the aim is by defeating that person then oh, you, de- you are defeated, man, so you must now become my student. Ah, in the Buddha's time, it's like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, of course, there are some who get defeated, then they just keep quiet and then you walk off. Like, uh, you can find that in some suttas, it's like that also. Yeah. So, hard to overcome, hard to beat, profound, hard to defeat. Yeah, because in the past, people really challenged each other. Yeah. Very rigor, rigorous. A lot of rigor. He knows what's worthwhile and what's not proficient in recognizing both. He rejects the worthless, grasps the worthwhile. He's called one who has broken through to what's worthwhile, prudent, wise. 
So let's go into the, the four types again. So the first one is quite straightforward, asking categorical questions. So that means um, the answer doesn't need further elaboration. Yeah? The question itself is confined to like MCQ. Yeah? The answer is, in a, it is, there's only a few answers possible. Um, it's not always a yes, no, but oftentimes, oftentimes a good example would be of categorical questions would be yes, no. Yeah? Uh, like for example, did you drive today? That's a categorical question. What kind of car did you drive? That's also a categorical question, but the answer can have more options. Yeah? Um, if I were to then ask you, like, <clears throat> uh, what do you think about driving? Uh, that's not a categorical question because then that's about your fit, you know, ex expression and so on and so forth. Yeah? Do you think driving uh, creates pollution? Yeah? First part may be yes, then you have to substantiate. Yeah? There are questions that, need, that should be answered with an analytical answer. So you have to qualify, uh, defining or redefining the terms. So sometimes you'll hear students ask certain questions and Shifu may, may say, uh, are you trying to ask this? Uh, paraphrase it. Yeah. Um, and this part is linked to another section earlier about the tone. Yeah. Um, those of you who, who field questions on a regular basis, you will be familiar with this. When people ask questions, do not be surprised if they come off as provocative or aggressive even when none is intended. Yeah. When I first came back in 2006, and I started to give talks here and there, uh, I was quite surprised when students asked questions and I felt very defensive, you know. <laughs> yeah. Either defensive or upset. <laughs> and then it become a sparring match sometimes. And, but over time, I realized that there's other reasons there are other reasons why people ask questions in an aggressive manner. And one of the leading reasons is because, well, it's just uncomfortable to ask questions. It is stressful to ask questions, especially when you're in a crowd. And so the fact that the person actually asks a question, he must have, <laughs> the, 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 you cannot imagine how much of that, you know, excitement or or fear is actually welling up already. And all that translates into what can appear to be uh, aggression. Yeah? Uh, and my own experience is um, dealing with it in the second manner, yeah? uh, not just simply giving a straightforward answer, but to uh, rephrase it, yeah? redefine it, or to verify, uh, oftentimes diffuse how they feel. Usually from your angle, you are looking at Sifu, looking at Buddha, you don't really see the other person. Sometimes if the person is sitting in a certain angle, you can see. But oftentimes what I see is this. When a person is asking, the person is sometimes the voice, you can hear high pitch. High pitch is a very telltale sign of, of stress. And the person is speaking and not breathing. And then the voice becomes higher and higher and you start to see the person read. <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes I'll tell, I will make a joke out of it to help the person diffuse it. Like, come, take a deep breath. <laughs> and the person, then the person realizes, oh, I'm not breathing, you know. Uh, 
MNI, when we paraphrase it, you see the whole the whole aura change, you know. You see the person like, yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And that's where you know that, yeah, actually, for the most part, not, no aggression was intended. Also, paraphrasing helps this part also. Yeah? And it also helps to make sure that um, certain assumptions are clarified. Yeah? Uh, as in, when a person uses a certain term, uh, if you know that there are certain connotations about it, then it's good to clarify. So, for example, yesterday, um, the, 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 the speaker I was supposed to comment on, he used the term belief. When I saw that, I was like, ah, this is quite tricky because belief can be interpreted in many ways. Uh, but I decided to give it a go. Unfortunately, it's not, a, it's not so much a, a Q&A where we are just you know, side by side chatting. So there's difficulty in um, that kind of uh, clarification. Uh, but as a result, even more so when you have opportunities, good to define or redefine the terms. Like for example, if a person say that um, you believe in God, yeah, then you may want to ask, uh, well, it depends on how you look at God, you know. Uh, if you and and sometimes you, you think about it, if a person asks you, do you believe in God? Or do you believe in Buddha or believe in karma? Seems like the first category, isn't it? Right? And we are usually tempted to just say yes or no. Um, what I would usually do these days is what I just said. I would say, well, it depends. Because then it opens up, you know, room for discussion. Uh, in most cases, when a person asks a question that seems to be categorical, the person already has a response either way. And in most cases, uh, the person would be inclined towards one angle yeah, where he has a whole set of arguments for or against it. Was that the timer for me to end? <laughs> oh, no, yes. <laughs> Happened to be 3.30. <laughs> So, what I found is that uh, if you just answer yes or no, then sometimes it put the person in a spot. Yeah. Because if the person's anger was the other way and you answered yes or no and it's the other one, the person may kind of like, okay, then how? Then how? Beep, 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 beep. Huh? <laughs> Stop playing with the toy. <laughs> How do you feel now? How do you feel now? Excited. <laughs> uh, so, and then I thought I'd throw this over. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. This is not Zen Monastery. The Monastery, I will throw something. <laughs> but this is cannot. Uh. This is throw something. Gonna to the police station. No wonder very few people get enlightened. <laughs> yeah, so <clears throat> yeah, so I realized I, I find that from my own experience, um, try to try to understand um, 
why the person asked the question first. Uh, so um, next would be, uh, there are questions that should be answered with a counter question. Yeah. So there's a bit of overlap, you realize? Yeah, because when you redefine terms, you, you shouldn't just say you redefine and that's it. Yeah, so I would often position the redefinition as a question. Yeah, would you agree that this is how it is? Or what do you mean by this term? So it's a counter question, but it's actually trying to redefine it with a counter question. So there are cases where a counter question is purely a counter question. Yeah, and usually it's is to get the person to revisit their premise. Uh, so you must know when to use which one. For example, let me see. Can I come up with an example for this? Uh, so for example, if someone say, um, is it true <clears throat> that all illnesses is due to karma? Yeah. That if I fall sick, then it's due to bad karma. Yeah. Then I may ask like, um, well, when you have headache, is it due to past karma? Oh. So I ask a question. person can answer yes, no. But it's basically getting the person to, uh, questioning the person's premise. Yeah. And through the different types, then you get the person, the aim is always uh, not simply to win. Oh. Um, and here I want to highlight this, which is, to be aware when we, we have that urge to win. Because trust me, you, all of us have that urge. Okay? Even those who say, no, 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 I'm the stupidest. Be careful of those who say that they are stupid. Oh, this one is, this is the first class honors ego person. Those who openly tell you, I'm very stupid one. Especially Singaporeans when they say, I'm stupid one. Oh, you watch out. Uh, this expert expert level <laughs> expert level uh, there are questions that should be put aside or some questions shouldn't be answered yeah. uh, so in, in the Buddhist teaching there's a whole category of questions that uh, are traditionally not answered I say traditionally because in the Pali Canon they are not answered but in the Mahana Sutras they are answered yeah. For example, if uh, usually in the Pali tradition, if a question is asked, what happens after Parinibbana? Then the answer is usually, well, the, your concern should not be about that. Yeah, because and, and the, the classical answer is, well, your question itself is uh, based on the wrong premise. Your question is based on the notion of a self. Yeah, but no self to begin with. So no, the question is inadmissible. To me, answering in this way is correct according to the tradition, but I, I find that a lot of people don't find this satisfying. And they feel like this is a cop-off, that you are just kind of dismissing the question. Um, so oftentimes I will get them to revisit and rethink why they're asking this question. Uh, some other questions that I have personally put aside is questions about past life, future life. Yeah. And I would put it aside by asking them a counter question. My common counter question is, 
You want to look at past life? You want to remember your past life? Why can't you remember it? Well, can you remember what you ate last Wednesday morning? And most people will be like, yeah, and that kind of get, is an answer to that question. Yeah, because if you cannot even un answer that question to remember what you ate last Wednesday, why are you so concerned about past life? But even more importantly, the things we remember in this life, oftentimes we use it to torture ourselves and others. Yeah. So perhaps it's better to, uh, so my approach is to get them to think that perhaps it's better that you learn to make use of what you know to benefit yourself and others best before you try to go and know so much things. <laughs> so questions and answers. When to ask, how to answer. Any questions? Although this may not be the right time because it's 3.34, 3.36. Any thoughts or questions you would like to ask? Now will be the time. <clears throat> How about uh, Facebook? Anybody from Facebook have any questions? No? Yes. Uh, oh, oh, no, huh? okay. I thought Dr. John raised the hand with a question. Okay, so if not, uh, I'd like to end the session with an exercise for you all to do. This is an exercise that some of you have done before. So for the next one week, before you speak, check through the list. Um, an easier exercise would be, for this one week, don't speak. <laughs> yeah, that's the easier one. <laughs> yeah, it's easier. Just don't speak. <laughs> Unless it has to do with life and death. Uh, and, and in many classes, I give that as a preamble exercise. Yeah. Because as I said earlier, we need to learn to not speak first. In our life in school, uh, we often learn to speak, but we seldom learn not to speak. Raising your hand, raising... Being able to raise your hand <clears throat> just shows that you can raise your hand. But being able to say not raise your hand in addition to raising your hand shows that you have control. If we only know how to speak and will speak whenever we feel like speaking, that we don't know how to stop speaking, be able to catch ourselves then we have not mastered speaking. So, if we learn to say, ah, we saw something, we, we hear something, and so on, and we have, we have the urge. If we stop ourselves, then it's easier to see the urge. And when you see the urge, and you're able to say, despite the urge, I don't speak, then you are in a good position to then decide whether it is the right time to speak 
whether speaking would benefit others or not, whether your intent is right and how to speak and so on. Uh, so try it. I let you all decide whether you want to do the easy one or the difficult one. Put your palms together. Yen